0: The main thing I would say is don't be shy. If you encounter someone who you think could help you, ask them to help you, Uh, take the initiative because that's going to be critical in the career. Uh, And be very aware too of the fact that there are support networks out there. Hello everyone and welcome to
1: the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the student lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This podcast is brought to you by Feed Ignite. Welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast. My name is Camilla and I'm a law graduate currently applying for training contracts. Today I'm joined by Daniel Black, Commercial and Insolvency and Civil and Employment Law Barrister at Three Hair Court. Daniel is going to be talking us through his journey to the bar and providing some tips along the way, so do make sure you stick around for those. So welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: It's my pleasure to be here, thank
1: you. So let's get straight into the questions. Um, I know that when we were discussing setting up this podcast, um, you mentioned a little bit about your background and you said that you went to a state school and the idea of becoming a barrister wasn't necessarily commonplace. Um, So I thought we'd just kind of kick off the episode by just finding out a bit more about, you know, when you did um, decide to become a barrister and how that sort of came about and and why.
0: Of course. Well, I suppose the idea... uh, when I was at school, becoming a barrister was was a distant prospect for two reasons. First, is that I was in Scotland, right, uh, and and second relates to I suppose perhaps some of the more structural uh, issues, which which your listeners will be interested in. But it, it ties actually pretty pretty similarly because at the sort of school uh, I attended, there wasn't the structures in place really to guide you to see if you wanted to become an advocate in in Scotland, which is the equivalent position. As you got older, I mean that that's absolutely no slight on the individual uh, teachers, some of whom are absolutely marvelous and, and made great uh, and and incalculable yeah uh, contributions to to my path going forward and it's again also not to say that that people from my school hadn't gone on to go into law certainly that that had happened but what one of the difficulties it, it seems to me. Uh, from certain types of state schools, not not all. It yeah. is that there's not a great culture of networking back, uh, and the lack of a culture of networking back and providing support networks and information networks to people uh, who who are perhaps looking or or even just thinking about going down certain paths uh, is a difficulty. In terms of of when I decided that I wanted to to study law then to take it at, at that stage, yeah the. The simple answer, actually, is when when I finished my hires, that's the, the equivalent of A levels. I wanted to do something impressive. Uh, now, I guess I was perhaps more arrogant at seventeen than I'm proud to think back on. <laughs> now, but the law seemed to me to be uh, impressive in, in that extent. Yeah. And I went and did it. Now, very quickly, uh, when I did start it, more more serious thoughts uh, were coming. I, I enjoyed the processes. But in terms of the decision to become a barrister, uh, I'd just come back, and I realised we'll come to this later, I'd just come back from studying in, in the United States, and my dissertation supervisor, uh, an English uh, constitutional law professor, uh, Adam Tompkins, he asked me, did I want to go to the bar? And uh, to tell you the truth, uh, my, my initial reaction was yes, because I thought that was the answer he he wanted to hear, and I wanted to, to continue building my relationship with him. But right. Following that answer, he talked to me a bit about the process and, and what it would involve and pointed me in the direction of uh, scholarships. Uh, it, and it was at that time that I gave it serious reflection and I reflected back, actually, on on what had been going on during, going on rather, during law school um, in the United States and, and during my, my legal education uh, initially at the University of Glasgow. Uh, and I realised that, that it was the process of Taking the materials uh, in front of me, yeah, uh, analysing them and then constructing uh, and formulating arguments uh, as well as they could be put uh, on, on the materials before me, that, that was the intellectual, the intellectual process rather, which I most enjoyed and really it was for that reason that I decided to, to become a barrister because I thought, you know, the intellectual processes that are going to be involved day to day, even on the more mundane matters, that, that was what fired my intellectual passions as it were. So that, that's a sort of um, elongated answer. The reason I make it elongated, of course, is that there's no correct trigger
1: right. for
0: why you want to become a, a barrister. Uh, ultimately, there there can be a number a number of wrong triggers. You, you you can decide various things for the wrong reasons, but but there isn't a correct one there. It, it, if you reflect properly on it, uh, and and you decide that taking into account the the challenges that come with it, that that it would be for you. So I wouldn't want your listeners uh, to think that there there are sort of preset paths um, in terms of your motivation.
1: No, I guess that, well, people might enjoy their job for different reasons, I suppose. So everyone's path is likely to be different. Um, But I think it was really interesting how um, you kind of had that professor who's a bit of a mentor to sort of guide you towards the right path. And I think that can that kind of highlights the importance of, like you said, networking and um maybe seeking out mentors. So um yeah, I thought that was really interesting.
0: I'm really glad you said that actually, because I think uh, and this comes in later in the process too. Uh, and I realise it's not always easy to achieve it. But if you can if you can find a mentor, if you can find uh you know people who can steer you, that really is invaluable. Yeah. And it certainly was for me.
1: Brilliant. So let's move backwards a little bit to your school and university years. So um, what do you think the biggest challenges were as a state school student pursuing a career in law? I mean, do you think there were any? Did you sort of notice any differences between um, your journeys and perhaps someone someone else's that maybe went to private schools or had a more sort of traditional route to the bar? Personally
0: speaking, the, the biggest challenge yeah. was a sort of a fog of lack of knowledge, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Because you can find out certain parts about the process and, and certain parts about what are, what are required, but it, but it is really useful uh, to be able to have informal chats with, with people in the know. Uh, and certainly from certain types uh, of state schools, it's, it's not natural to have necessarily those networks. Now, ultimately, People who go to the bar and who succeed at the bar, whatever their background, are going to have to overcome significant challenges. And it, unfortunately, may just be more difficult for, for some people at the initial stages. So, for example, I had to, to try and build you know, my own... Um, network's a very formal term, but, but build relationships with people who I could speak to and ask about it. You've already alluded to, to uh, Professor... Tompkins who gave me my first real insight into it so I suppose the main thing I would say is don't be shy if you encounter someone who you think could help you ask them to help you yeah uh, to take the initiative because that's going to be critical in the career uh, and be very aware too uh, of the fact that there are support networks out there as, as well uh, and and there are opportunities to to speak to people who volunteer to to give their time to help people through the the process and it is of course they, these are not easy things to do to, to approach people and to approach organizations I, I appreciate that they can be they can be daunting and i appreciate as well because i suffered from this at the time that, that perhaps you want to put your head down and just try and blast your way into off your own steam but ultimately there's everything to be gained from uh, the the knowledge of others and the vicarious the vicarious experience of, of others uh, and if you do have to make some of your own opportunities early on in terms of those initial relationships, then that's only going to stand you in, in good stead. So I hope that answers yeah, what, you were, completely. what you were getting at there.
1: I completely agree. And I think that with LinkedIn now, it, it has become a little bit easier potentially than it might have been a few years ago um i think it is you know easier to find people that have had maybe similar backgrounds to you who've made it in the profession and seek people out perhaps from the same university that you went to or the same you know school or whatever um so you can actually have that to relate to them and then actually kind of work on whatever you need to do to be able to um succeed in the profession
0: so i think that's definitely and and most people are yeah most people are very nice and um if they don't have time, they'll, 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 they'll apologise and say they don't have time. But, yeah, I, th- I think there is a very, very good point there.
1: Brilliant. So I know how important academics are at the bar and, you know, in law careers in general, um, and I noticed from your LinkedIn that you have a first-class degree. So I was wondering if you'd be able to share your tips for students who want to secure as high, you know, as high grade as possible, um, you know, hopefully a first and, and what your tips are for that.
0: Yes, absolutely. So uh, you've made me a bit bashful raising <laughs> these things, but uh, perhaps if I can try and marry my experience from studying with, with my experience um, from, from teaching, which I did, uh, and lecturing, which I did after. Yeah. The, the core thing, if you're aiming for a first, it, it seems to me, is that you have to be prepared for a very long and hard slog. Well. Uh, and it is that simple. It can't be sugar-coated. Okay. Uh, there may there may be some exceptions to that rule. Uh, I wasn't one of them. So you're not uh, going to tell I'm... us of any
1: shortcuts then? <laughs> no, but, but what
0: I what I what I can tell you yeah. uh, how to do is to to diamond stud your work, um, uh, uh, as it were. Okay. So most uh, law degrees are assessed by a combination of essays and problem questions. Yes. Now. The approaches to them are distinct, but they they hang on, assuming you've can, you can grasp the knowledge requirements, they hang on structure. The difference between a really good answer and a very good answer regularly is structure. So, for example, if we were to take essay questions, you want to tell right at the start. It's, it's not an adventure book. Right. Right? We're not trying to... You know, wade through the woods and, and see if we find you know the monster at the end. You you want to say right at the start, look, this is my position, even if that's an equivocal position. You want to just say to the reader, bang, this is where this is going. Okay. And then you want to set out the avenues of inquiry which follow. Okay. And that it's 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 that old chestnut in a sense of um yeah tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them it, and then tell them what you've told them. It is very simple. And you give that structure. So many great, or potentially great, essays, don't quite reach that threshold right? Uh, because they become a bit murky. Uh, you want to, the way I used to think about it, is you want to hold the marker's hand. You want to hold the marker's hand as you progress through, through the essay. Uh, in terms of problem questions, I always remember, uh, a, she's a professor now, I believe, Professor Janine Carrullers who taught me obligations. Uh, when I was at the University of Glasgow, an absolutely marvellous uh, lawyer. Uh, and she used to hammer into the phrase, the I-E-A, uh, sorry, the I-E-E the okay. uh, mantra, which is Why? for every issue you identify in a problem question, you want a distinct paragraph and you want to, the I is issue. You want to identify what this precise legal issue is. The A okay. is the analysis. You want to analyze it. And then E, right, is your explanation. You want to explain that back to the question which is asked. Yeah. So it, it, in that sense, you're again holding hands, but you're just doing it in a different structure. You're saying to the marker, "It's point one. The law which applies to to point one is this, and this helps us answer the question because."
1: Definitely, that sounds like a really good structure because I've heard of. I think they call it IRAC. I R A C. I think that's possibly what I used. Mm. Back in the day, but um, yeah, I think I think I'd definitely echo that. Having a structure is really important.
0: Yeah. Now, what I would add to that as well is you've got your structure and and you've got your knowledge. Now, let's assume you've got your knowledge on on the threshold of two one first, which are, which a large number of candidates I get to.
1: Yeah.
0: What can you do to kick yourself over the line? And this is a this is a a good skill. Uh, by the way, for, for people once they get to the bar as well, you've got to know your audience. You've got to know the forum you're pitching to. Uh, and the forum you're pitching to is academics. Okay. Now, academics will like you to go away and read academic commentary Yeah. and lace it through your answer. Now, my personal view is you, you should enjoy doing that anyway, actually, if, you, if, you, if you're doing a law degree and, and you're wanting to go down into the profession because you should want to get into the the naughtier issues. But if, for example, uh, you can turn around uh, and and you've done, say, the analysis step in a problem uh, question, and you can say, look, but Lindsay says the law ought to be X. Right. If you can then take that stage further and critique that, so it's not just dropping in some academic commentary, it's engaging with it, and if you can do that, even if you're saying, you "No, know, this must be right because of X," it doesn't have to be this. Is, this is wrong because yeah. of Y. Then that shows the real thoughtful engagement with the problem. And you you, you do similar things in essays uh, as well. So if you can try and bring in academic uh, commentary and engage with it in the wider context of, of the law which is in play, then that's really the best way to to sort of turbocharge yourself and, and get over the the first threshold
1: brilliant thank you so much that's so helpful um, I don't think I've ever heard um, anyone kind of break down how to answer problem question and how to kind of score a first like that so thank you so much um, I'm sure our listeners will find it helpful as well um, so we mentioned a little earlier that you studied in the US for a year so um, I'd love you you know I'd love it if you could tell us a bit more about that because that sounds very exciting.
0: Absolutely. So I went to North Carolina, uh, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which is um, a very, very good law school in the in the United States. And I was uh, parachuted in there for my my time abroad as part of what they call the JD program. So in the United States, it's not commonly well known here. Uh, law is a postgraduate degree. So. I went out there during my third year of undergraduate at Glasgow University. there's, there's four-year undergraduates in Scotland. Uh, and I was parachuted into classes with uh, highly driven and, and extraordinarily clever actually Americans. really um, Yeah and you can under, the drive is astonishing as well because you think about the amount of fees that paid at undergrad and then they go into a law school. So their drive is incredible, and they were obviously quite a bit older than me at that stage, but it was, it was a marvellous a crucible of learning, and the exposure to American law was, was fascinating. I did, I did three courses. I did national security law and military justice and the jurisprudence of, of capital punishment, which were the sort of courses that are just not an offer.
1: Fascinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it really was. It really was. And they're just not an offer in the UK because of our, our circumstances, really. It's, it's, hard, it's harder to find courses like that. And and I had a marvellous time that there was a bit of the old um, Socratic method in, in some of the classes which I suppose tough, toughens you up a little. Right, And it, it was very interesting to, to see an insight into the, the American approach to, to studying these matters, how people would how people would would consider them, seeing how American judicial reasoning works, because it uh, quite often goes on on party political lines, particularly when constitutional matters yeah. are in play, and and that that was fascinating. And I also, and this goes back to to what we said right at the start. I mean, I met there the most the single most important uh, influence on my uh, academic um, uh, and and uh, to some extent professional life, Professor Scott Silliman. He'd been a judge advocate general uh, in the U.S. Uh, Air Force—that's uh, a military lawyer—who is out on deployment. That was during Gulf War One, and, and he became the head of the Center of National Security Law wow. at Duke University, or Duke as, as they call it, uh, which is a big rival to UNC. It's just down the road. But he'd studied at UNC, and he came to do uh, classes there. I took two of his national security law and, and military justice. Uh, and he was the sort of person. Uh, he is the sort of person who, who couldn't have more a time for his uh, students. And I really, my legal reasoning abilities, are developed under him, uh, marvelously actually. And and that's another thing I, I would point out to to those who are listening who are still students, which is, and obviously, look, there will be some who would um, do this, but. But most uh, of your professors uh, and your tutors will be happy to talk about a lot of it. Yeah, uh, and you can just learn so much uh, by by doing that, uh, and and that's that really has proved uh, invaluable um, to me. Uh, the rest of the United States, well, and, uh, it was down in, in the south. It was it was a fascinating uh, cultural uh, experience it gave me something to talk about in that respect in, in interviews. Now I'll, I'll come back to, to additional things perhaps that can be... spoken. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I'll come back to some things that can be discussed in interviews towards the end because I've, I've had a,
1: Brilliant.
0: a foresight of what you might um, ask me. So I hope, that, I hope that was to some extent helpful.
1: Thank you. That sounds so interesting. Such a great experience. So do you think you came back to the, to the UK um, afterwards and do you think you were completely different? After that experience, like in terms of just the way you thought and maybe the way you approached studying? It changed
0: my life in so far as to say I had never actually realized how much it rained in Scotland. Uh, seriously, seriously, <laughs> because North Carolina, the, the, the blue skies, they call it Carolina blue, Carolina blue skies. It was sunny all, all the time, unless yeah. a tornado came in, but you know, we can forget about that. But uh, it was sunny right. all the time. And I'd known, obviously, growing up in Scotland, the weather wasn't great uh, there. But I hadn't realized quite how bad it was. And I'd been back a few months and I was like, I will move somewhere with a better uh, climate. And it might stun your listeners, but to me, London's climate is marvelous. So in that sense, it changed where I wanted to work. It changed where I wanted to to be. In terms of how it changed my thinking, yeah, it it definitely changed the way I approached legal problems. I I was much much better at it uh, and I was capable. I think before I went to North Carolina, to tell you the truth, my thinking when it came to legal problems is a bit too dogmatic, I think I approached them wanting uh, an outcome and reason towards it. Uh, and right. when I was in the United States, that changed. I, I, I became much more interested in, in broader uh, thought and, uh, and you know abandoning um, outcome-driven reasoning in favour of a more a deep intellectual in, in inquiry. And, and, and that is something I'll be grateful for for the rest of my life, actually.
1: Sounds so interesting. So let's move on to uh, just got a question about advocacy, really, because that's obviously a very important skill for barristers to have. Um, is that something that you've always been good at, or um, is that something that you've needed to improve? And what are your top tips for people that want to improve their advocacy?
0: Everybody needs to improve, certainly. Okay. At, at the stage of, of applying for pupillage and when, when you're starting out in, in your practice, I don't think you would find a, a barrister who would say, Otherwise, right?
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: In in terms of, well, I I was always good at it. I think I was always confident, but but that's obviously a very different thing. (laughs) And you've got to be able to put on a hat of hard-headed realism, right? And you can't be afraid of identifying your own weaknesses and areas for improvement. Now, that's easy to identify as as a process. How do you do it? So I'm going to suggest two things here that are really indispensable okay a tip tip one for improving uh your advocacy right is dipping in and out of Supreme Court hearings we have now this wonderful resource online where the greatest advocates in England and Wales and from Scotland and Northern Ireland depending on the case uh, and indeed you know privy Council jurisdictions are, are are broadcast live as well so uh, we have we have advocates from all across the world but you have a great resource with some of the, the finest uh, advocates uh, that there are. And and just pay attention and note the odd thing down. I'm not saying become an addict and watch it like you would Netflix, but, you know, uh, you notice their pacing, notice their structure, notice that styles are, are different, and, and just gradually pick up traits uh, and methods from the the, the uh, advocates that you see uh, in in these um, broadcasts and then practice 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 your advocacy uh, it's good to do mooting uh, it, it's good to do uh, some amount uh, of um, free representation if you can other public speaking is yeah it is very useful uh, too and then uh, assess What you've done when you go home by reference to what you were aiming for having looked at some of the best Uh, and if you do that then that that's a great way to to improve your your advocacy certainly in terms of how you would speak in an interview and and later how you would do submissions obviously cross-examination that style of advocacy is very different Uh, and that's just something really you have to learn initially on on bar course in terms of the fundamentals Uh, and then subsequently when you have in-house advocacy training at chambers and and in in practice. So uh, know what you're targeting and practice toward what you're targeting, if that sums it up.
1: Brilliant. I really like that tip tip about watching um, the courts online because, um, again, going back to the use of technology, it's just something that, I mean, I don't know how long it's been broadcast, but obviously you'd need to kind of go to a court um, to be able to sit in, um, in the public area and watch, but now you can literally watch it from your bedroom. So, so I think that's amazing.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly.
1: So I just want to ask you about your journey to the bar now. So what was your journey like to securing pupillage? And was it something that you started uh, straight after university?
0: Tortuous, <laughs> occasionally, occasionally miserable not not straight after
1: university no so i
0: i studied initially at the university of, of glasgow where i studied scots law uh, i come down and I, I i did parts of the gdl to convert to english law and then i went to oxford to do the bachelor of civil law bcl okay. degree there uh, and subsequent to that i i did i went through a few rounds there were some reserve offer miseries uh, along the way it's, it's it's a painful thing to so here we think you're good enough, but you're just not. Um, you're just not the best, um, oh, and we'll take right. you if, if this person
1: so close.
0: <laughs> I know, I- indeed. But uh, look, I'm delighted how it's all turned out. Uh, I've, I've had a, okay. a wonderfully supportive uh, chambers from from day one, and, and things are, are going well uh, in my uh, practice. So, in terms of the the journey, it can be, as I say, torturous, and it can be miserable but it can also be exciting uh, and and the, the best tip uh, and this comes from some experience it uh, would be to say to people if they are of a nervous disposition uh, and that's of course only natural if you can convince yourself uh, before you go into a particular interview that you might as well enjoy it because you may never be back at this level again then that, that that's a great way to calm yourself to be like look this might be the only shot I get at this. You only get to do it once, potentially, even if you've got other interviews coming up. If you can get yourself into that mindset, then certainly, personally speaking, that, that, that was a good way to relax and think, I may as well show the best of myself here because then there could be no recriminations yeah. uh, in, internal, internally. So, look, the process is difficult, and the process is difficult because it, for, because barristers uh, are, are bloody clever. And bloody hardworking, uh, and those people who want to be barristers are bloody clever and bloody hard hardworking. And you can add into that that many of them are are um, charming and already very accomplished advocates uh, in, in other fields. So it, it's going to be hard. I mean, I think perhaps there's one or two people a year who you know pick up ten offers or, or, or whatever, and you've just got to you know doff your your cap to them. But for everyone else, it's going to be it's going to be tricky, uh, even if you've got. A tremendous um, qualifications but if you have self-belief founded on a realistic appraisal of your own abilities yeah and you and you have the ability to learn from previous interviews then then you've got a fighting chance uh, and you, you can't put it any higher than that but, but then then you've got a fighting chance
1: excellent so um i noticed that you you were um you're in a teaching role before you went to the bar kind of I'd like to know a little bit more about that, um, if, if you don't mind, and also what kind of skills you think that provided you with and whether you think those skills helped you um, either get to the bar or kind of help you in in your career as it is now.
0: Yes. So uh, I was briefly a, taken on as a visiting lecturer at, at, at City uh, and I was subsequently a lecturer at BPP. Uh, that was that was during a period when I'd, I'd secured a pupilage and, and was filling a year before starting. Uh, now, what skill did it provide me with, or, or perhaps I certainly would hope amplify? With, yeah. Uh, in terms of that, was it of assistance at the bar? Is you have to get in w- when you're teaching into the rigid discipline of reducing problems to their simplest dimensions and reducing complex concepts to the most readily uh, understandable uh, way they can be expressed. Now, obviously, I didn't always achieve that. Uh, I certainly strive to achieve it. Today, I still don't always achieve that. I strive to achieve it. But ultimately, when when you are in front of a judge, uh, you want to be able to, to strip what's in front of the court down to the essentials and say, look, this is what this is really about. And this is the simplest route to the answer here. And this is right because. Uh, and that discipline of being able to strip things down to the, the simplest dimensions uh, achieved in teaching helps in that because it just it sort of programs uh, your mind uh, to think instinctively in a certain way. And, and, and I found that useful. I remember, I think that phrase, reducing something to its simplest dimensions, I remember, I remember seeing that phrase in an interview from Lord Sumption years ago, uh, and certainly if, if Lord Sumption is saying that that's valuable, then definitely, then it's something everyone should take on board. Yeah, definitely, as you say. Yeah.
1: Um. Okay. So, just some advice, really, for our listeners who are making applications. Um,
0: oh, can I add? Can I add one more thing? Sorry to cut across you, Camille. One more thing.
1: Yeah, of course. Go for it.
0: One other thing, teaching help with is it helps you recognise when. People are perhaps having a bad day or finding something tricky, and how to interact with them. The sort of things you you would tell them to try to try and help them, and that allows for some good self-management when you get to the bar as well. Because there's going to be some days where a judge just is not taking what you're giving, right? You, where the judge is just not persuaded, uh, and and you've got to be able you know, to sort of self-coach yourself because you are you're self-employed you've got to be able to self-coach yourself uh, back to back to your game and you've got to be able to do it possibly by the next morning when you've when you've got an hour uh, trial on so uh, that's that's something that that was that was helpful uh, too. yeah that's something I put out to your your listeners because it can follow a bad bad interview you've got to be able to to sort of reorientate uh, yourself um, and give yourself you know the sort of the boosts that are needed, perhaps, to your morale uh, and 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 belief, uh, in order to you know get up and and go again, to to, to put it uh, that way. And I and I did learn a little bit about that during the during the, the time teaching, even though obviously I'm, I'm deploying it in a different um, context when I'm. Uh, plug it to myself so I'm so sorry to cut across you there just that I thought it was
1: perhaps valuable to share yeah no that's really that's really good it's I think it's really interesting how how that kind of helped I would to be honest I was expecting you to say something like oh you know it really helped me with my public speaking um but to hear that mm. you know it kind of helped you with those softer skills um dealing with people and and explaining things in a way that's kind of easy to understand. That's, I think that's really interesting.
0: I, and of course you're right. It does help with public speaking. It, it helps with public speaking in the obvious ways and also in, in the less obvious ways. That yeah. You've got to be able to realise when a judge is turning off, when a judge is getting bored, and uh, I suppose, I yeah. suppose uh, if a lecture hall is getting bored.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to students. Exactly. That's, student. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> Okay, so um, yeah, going back to applications and interviews for those who, um, I mean, I don't know exactly when the dates are for um, uh, bar applic- um, you know, application for pupillage, but um, if someone is writing an application right now and they're kind of listening to this, what advice would you give them for how to stand out in their paper application and then in their interview if they, um, you know, hopefully make it to that stage?
0: So this, this is tricky because different sets look for different things. So there's nothing I can say here which is okay. uh, prescriptive, and I should declare I'm speaking personally and general, generally here. I'm not speaking about my own set either. Sure. Now, by the time you get to the application stage, you've got what you've got. You've got what you've got to work with. So whatever your degree classification is, uh, whatever uh, things are on the, on the side uh, that you've done, they are there now. The application, and this is therefore for people who are perhaps um, writing it without the opportunity to supplement their applications with more relevant experience, and then I'll, I'll change uh, um, context in a moment. Uh, structure, again, is critical. It is absolutely critical. Make uh, your answers as short as possible and as clear as possible and as ordered as possible. Uh, you've got to remember that barristers are self-employed. They will be reading these applications in their spare time. and they're doing that because they want to hire the best people to come to their chambers. But you've got to give them a reason to be interested in you. They're going to see lots of people with great first and great two one. So you've got to give them a reason, yeah, to be interested in you. And it seems to me that this was just my impression. I, I haven't read applications, uh, but it was just my impression that if you could make your application easy to read, someone was more likely to look favourably uh, on it if it was well structured. You were demonstrating, and uh, that you had. Uh, the important uh, skills that that were necessary, or some of the important skills, rather, that were necessary uh, to succeed at at the bar. Remember how important written advocacy is these days. It's of critical and growing importance, and and your application form is a form of of written advocacy. Now, remember in that, know your audience and know the question. So if, for example, the question is, why will you be a good barrister? You would be well advised, I think, to introduce a... Questions of that nature by saying there are three reasons one two three. By the time it gets to what are your hobbies, right? My personal view is it would be foolish to say I primarily do three things at the weekends because you know you're then in a, you've got a chance to show a bit your yeah. personality there. You don't want to stay a robot until <laughs> you get to that stage. Um, so you need to be a bit canny. You need to think about you know what is this? What I said earlier, what's this question really about? So some are about your written advocacy, some are about seeing you hey, as a person. Uh, try and and this operates in different ways in the different natures of the questions, but try and fit yourself to the profile of the chambers you're applying to. Um, ultimately.
1: Yeah. it's a great point.
0: Yeah. I mean, and ultimately people are going to want to uh, have people they want to work with around them. I, and yeah, exactly. And, and that, that, Goes to their intellectual and, yeah. and and other interests. So glean what you can. You'd be surprised how many chambers uh, people have given interviews talking about the pupillage processes as well. So I, I would I would Google X sets pupillage interview and see if something comes up, and then obviously check the date. You know, check that person's still there, kind of thing, and uh, and see if you can glean anything about an individual set there. Read check uh, sets own profiles. Um, square off what's said about outsets in, 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 the, in the legal directories with the rankings so you make sure you're focusing on on the right things in terms of you know if you're talking about their, their expertise. And also I mean websites
1: yeah for sure
0: websites uh, like your own websites like the student lawyer. there are invaluable resources there. Yeah get set reports um, you know from where you can get them or, or get interview tips or application tips from from where you can uh, get them. In terms of people who've still got time, yeah. it's me changing the context now, people have still got time to to diamond stud their application, if I can use that phrase again. Uh, you, you want to obviously get yourself a good degree uh, and you want to do relevant extracurricular things, but you also want to do something that makes you interested or interesting to talk to if, if you get me if you can if you can supplement your application uh, which is otherwise strong with something a uniques too strong a word but but interesting yeah uh, and perhaps perhaps slightly uh, perhaps slightly uncommon um, then that's something that you can be asked about and expect to be asked about it at an interview and it's a great opportunity to build a build rapport as well now obviously building a rapport is not going to get you anywhere if you otherwise fall flat on your face and and you forget you know what what consideration is in the contract but but you know assuming that you're going to get the law right uh, and you're going to deliver well then yeah just just you you want to diamond stud your application with just just little points of interest things that you think other people might be interested in in asking right uh, about Uh, and that would be would be my advice interview stage uh, your listeners will be bored to death because I'm going to say structure and you want to structure your answers there are there are little tricks of the trade as well uh, you can ask for a moment to think before you answer a question which is often advisable to do so yeah uh, don't do it all the time if you found you've done it a couple of times then then take a drink of water and buy yourself a couple of seconds to to think uh, informally that way but I, I think if you're answering a problem question in an interview, I would fall back on that structure I I, I said earlier. I, w- I would identify you know, what the issues are, uh, analyze them, and then explain how that answers a question. It, it always seemed to me that when you were preparing a problem question before an interview, uh, you had to be prepared for the very first question when you went into that, inter- that interview room being, so, Daniel, what is this question really about?
1: Right.
0: Okay. And that ultimately means you need to get right to the core of it, and say, you know, amongst this, you know, perhaps morass of issues, this is about whether Mister X has acted with the utmost good faith at all times. Because if he's not, this whole, you know, insurance setup is going to run into into problems. So just identify if you can, if you can frame a problem question answer initially, what your answer is going to be. Uh, in a sentence or in a couple of sentences right at the start, then that will stand you in in good stead. Because a good way to think about large elements of advocacy is, how is this going to be helpful to a judge? Or what can I say that is most helpful to a judge? Uh, And by being able to frame immediately to an interview panel, this is what this is about. You're indicating that you're the sort of person who can go before a busy district judge who's in a long list of other hearings at Ha, you know, half past two on a Thursday afternoon and make that judge's life easier and if you make that judge's life easier your chances of persuading that judge uh, are increased so there are a lot to back in uh, there uh, if there's anything else you want me to address then, then I'm, I'm, I'm more than, than happy to.
1: Sure I was quite interested in because um, you mentioned sort of at the beginning when you were talking about the paper application showing that you'd be someone that they'd like to work with, and then you kind of mentioned um, adding in bits that things that are a little bit unusual, perhaps. And I assume that's really kind of to show that, like you said, you'd be an interesting person to work with. Um, do you think that that? That uh, would also translate to the to the interview because from what you've said, it seemed kind of like a technical interview, quite a heavy interview. How would you like inject your personality into that, or do you not think you kind of need to at that point?
0: I, I think you inject your personality by being as natural as you can, even when you're giving the structured answers. Yeah, uh, and remember, of course, you're still in a formal uh, setting when you get on to perhaps more personal questions, of but you. You can loosen your back slightly uh, if you're answering personal questions. You're not giving submissions in the way you would be if you're asked your, your views um, on a, on a legal matter. Yeah. Now, that a large part of that comes down to to reading reading the room, and there will be some interviews where it's just not appropriate. I suspect to 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 loosen up. Right. Uh, there'll be others. Generally speaking, first round interviews are more gentle than than second rounds. Uh, second rounds, you're often advised to wear a helmet. And that that's not <laughs> <laughs> that's not literal advice. I should I should stress to the listeners. So yeah, I mean, ultimately, it, if you're not good at reading the room, that's not really something that that I really can help you with. Listen, listening to to this this podcast, that that's one of those yeah. skills you you nice just have to through your life experience, you know. Um, yeah. But you know, assuming that, that most people uh, who go forward are are. are um, can he and, and, and can understand these things then sure. a, a good dash of common sense it's always always takes you far
1: that makes sense and i suppose you can always have like small talk maybe when you're walking to the room to kind of show your personality rather than and you know and then just kind of answering questions and and reading the room yeah
0: yeah precisely and like you know brush your teeth like simple stuff you know, brush your teeth dress properly <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, you don't want to be. You know, no one's going to want to have small talk with someone you know who's, who's you know just finished a garlic baguette. Um, you know, the, the, the great the, advice. You know, to, to be this this would be the advice you know for any interview in any field. Yeah, you know, and so yeah, you're totally right. You know, engaging a little bit of, of small talk on, on the way to the interview room, um, take take the lead of uh, the introducer, if I can use the person who's leading. Uh, you to the interview room if I can describe them that way take the early to whether there's handshakes actually it's probably better before you go in actually is to ask the person that's taking you are there handshakes or not Yeah, um, because you don't want to end up leaning across tables and it's I mean none of these things of course are fatal but um, in your own head you want to be as relaxed as possible and a wee awkward moment's not going to help you
1: Definitely, and actually, I can't remember where I read it. I've been reading or watching YouTube videos and reading books about interviews recently, and I think someone said that if you're kind of a if you're carrying a bag, like don't carry a bag and a coat because it can make you look unorganised in the in someone's mind. So I, I suppose it's just little things like that, like like you said, not fatal, but it all kind of adds up to maybe that overall impression.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah. Look, you're deep into realms of psychology there. Uh. <laughs> which i'm not qualified to venture all i would say is um remember to be the polished version of yourself yeah sure um and that's very different than being a fake version of yourself as as i'm sure um, everyone's aware right
1: okay so i would be really interested to know what is the most difficult or most random question that you've ever been asked in a pupillage interview
0: how would you open a sweetie shop
1: wow okay <laughs> Uh it was, start it, was with that?
0: <laughs> it was subsequently explained to me that this was a metaphor, uh, which didn't really uh and perhaps this is for my discredit, but that didn't really illuminate the question for me very much. No, this was at uh this was at a tax set actually, and I'd done some tax a lot undergraduate, uh, which I'd done very well in, and I just decided I would, you know, pop along to an interview and see what it was like. And and I yeah. don't think I was I don't think I was suited. To a tax law, but you know it's interesting to to go along. But that that was the most difficult question, and I it was certainly the most unusual question, and it's certainly a question that I will I declare right now I did not deal with well whatsoever. Fortunately, there's not been many questions like that. There's not it been is. many questions like that. The questions that tend to be designed either to test your legal knowledge or test your reasoning ability or to see the kind of um, person you are. And it may well be that that question was also designed in such a way, but uh, it was one that I, at least on that day, didn't have the capabilities to to answer um, satisfactorily. But yeah, I don't worry about horror question. Um, I, I realise people who've, there's sometimes an impression from, from students that I've previously taught that the people who didn't go to Oxbridge are at a disadvantage uh, in interviews, right? Um, because people who went to uh, Oxbridge obviously did their entrance interviews with odd and obscure questions. Yeah, uh, you have to remember that was at least three years ago, probably and more than that. Uh, and in any in any event, um, as you can look through the bar nowadays, there's obviously far more uh, to to go in terms of representation, but it, it is it is getting. Much um, better, and there are, of course, uh, many skills you learn uh, when you're at um, Oxford and, and Cambridge. There's many skills I learned when I was uh, at Oxford in the BCL and in tutorials, and they do help you uh, in in interviews. The, the skills and experiences that you learn there, but it doesn't matter where you gain the skills. the The, the point is, if you have the right skills and you can exhibit them, and exhibit them well then you'll get a fighting chance of getting in somewhere.
1: Brilliant that's I'm sure that will really kind of inspire our listeners so thank you for that pleasure. I'd really like to know a bit more about your practice and the kind of um, cases that you deal with on a daily basis and um, so I don't you would like to share that with us
0: Of course yeah more more than happy to obviously things are slightly different just now given that, that we're recording this in the I'm not sure we can't call it lockdown anymore than the sort of uh, no. Semi-lockdown phase of, of, of the uh, novel coronavirus uh, pandemic. Yeah. Now, my, my practice primarily um, would would be made of, of uh, four features. Uh, so I, I do international uh, travel. Uh, I do uh, commercial. Uh, I've been doing employment uh, for a few months. Uh, now, it's just something I had a bit of an academic background in too. Uh, and then that's all work under my own steam, generally speaking. And then there's work that you would do as a junior for a, a more senior barrister or a more senior junior barrister, rather, or for um, a sil. Now, and, and this is something to, to think about. I'll try and structure this as, as most helpful as I can for, for your listeners. Uh, those areas uh, have very different day-to-day experiences. So if, if I'm doing international travel uh, style things, uh, for example say a gastric illness um, case abroad and then you're going to be in or a different type of personal injury case then you're going to be in uh, fast track trials, um, uh, trials quite regularly and also small claims track trials quite regularly which keep coming and, and and you can often find yourself in court three, four, um, five times a week uh, there's other aspects to that as well I've done a considerable amount of a flight delay compensation uh, claims and, and defending the, the airlines in those cases, which has been a great way to build up core experience and judge handling experience, um, and and that that's been uh, useful uh, employment primarily when I've been doing that. I've focused on uh, disability related matters, uh, and in in commercial, uh, generally speaking, the commercial matters I've been involved in. I've, I've turned on contractual interpretation, but I've recently been involved in, in a fascinating um, misrepresentation matter uh, concerning uh, private equity, uh, and that that really sort of broadened my mind to to a whole different you know sector um, of of uh, the world, really, and and how, and how that 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 works in yeah. business terms. So, in terms of broadening this out for for your listeners, uh, different types of sets are going to get you very different lives. So if you go to a chancery set, generally speaking, you're going to spend a lot of time in your chambers and you're going to spend a lot of time really getting into nitty-gritty uh, black-letter law. Yes. Now, some people will love that and some won't. Uh, don't just look at a huge pupilage award uh, and, you know, plow on for that if that's lifestyle you're going to hate. Other... Uh, practice areas, but will, will get you in in courts regularly, uh, which there are, which is fun and there are great upsides too. But by the same token, if you don't want to get on a train to Manchester at five minutes past six from Houston quite regularly, perhaps it's not the lifestyle uh, for you. Uh, employment law, obviously, generally speaking, you're going to be in tribunals. You're not you're not going to be you're not going to be in uh, courts at least at, at the start, and that raises different um, issues. And the sort of matters that, that arise are, are different. I mean, I've always found really that uh, in employment law, for example, I love the stories uh, and and you're trying to, to work out the, the truth uh, in, in the narrative, but rather the tribunal is trying to work out the, the truth in the narrative. Other matters such as, for example, a gastric illness, a trial um, on the fast track uh, are, are more are more self-contained you know was this person served a piece of food which was uh contaminated and you know if it was say a road traffic accident you know whom uh, was hit by whom and then just to, to touch on on the other area uh you know if you're if you're going to do more commercially uh, minded matters then there's going to be you know a higher incidence of of um Generally speaking, reading documents, but not always, because sometimes the critical evidence is, is discussions. For example, you know what representations were made, if any, what were the content of them, and that you know can be a long way in the future from when you're first looking at papers, and involve serious amounts of consideration. Now, there are again, I direct people again to the the online resources available, uh, in particular those. At the the student lawyer, and and just you know have a look at what the different practice areas involve in terms of your, in terms of your lifestyle, uh, and and think about that before you before you go and, and join a a set of chambers because there may be there may be sets of chambers that you like the idea of them more than than you would like the the reality of them. Obviously, I hope no one ends up in that position. Um, although at that stage they will be a barrister, so there would be <laughs> consolation in that
1: yeah that's that's interesting and what always amazes me really is um the the uh breadth of, of types of cases that barristers deal with because i think before i started doing this podcast i maybe had a bit of a naive view that i thought barristers would be kind of more spec, like you know work on one sort of type of case but um speaking to other people i knew today um it's just amazing how you just deal with such a broad range of cases and um I think it really must be the case that you just kind of always, you know, I can imagine that no two days are the same um, for for you, and that's I think that's really interesting.
0: Definitely, yeah. Now some days are similar, right? Um, but but yeah, no 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 two days are the same, no two cases are, are the same, and yeah. sometimes you can be surprised. you think you've got something easy coming ahead, and it turns out, uh, in in fact, to be much more um, complicated that, than you think. Um, but yeah, you're, you're you're quite right in in, in what you say there.
1: Brilliant. Are there any really wacky or memorable cases that you can maybe share with us?
0: No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to remember, I'm still, I'm still a baby barrister. I'm still, right. I'm still in my, I'm still in my nappies, so I'm not okay. really um, exposed to that so much. But um, these stories are obviously out there. Yeah. Um. And I think generally speaking, people go into the criminal log of these stories more, more quickly. Right. Uh, a friend of mine uh, okay. who's been a criminal barrister for a year or so. He's he could regale you over dinner with quite a few tales. So my apologies that I don't actually have <laughs> any okay. exciting
1: we'll, Im- we'll invite you back in a few years and hopefully <laughs> you can find something wacky to work on that
0: you can do <laughs> Splendid.
1: So what's the best part of being a barrister? I Enjoy the
0: control over my own working hours. I, I don't want to say freedom because obviously, whilst it is freedom to some extent, you know, you've got to comply with deadlines and court orders and uh, and, and important matters uh, like that. But you can do the work where you want, say for when you are required to be at court, where you want, when you want, and you can structure your, your working life that way. And I think a lot of people who are inclined towards the bar have perhaps kept variable or, um, uh, in some cases, unconventional studying hours whilst they, whilst they were students. And, and it is uh, one of the few professions that allows you to to conduct uh, your business that way. Obviously, uh, there are other professions which allow you to conduct your, your business that way. And if you didn't like what you were doing, then the, the freedom to do a job you were miserable in it wouldn't be much consolation. So uh-huh. I do enjoy that, but it, it pairs to. It it, it it marries with rather um, advocacy. I I like presenting uh, people's stories uh, or, or, or companies' stories and 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 explaining why uh, their version of events is the one that should be preferred by by the court. So I think control over style uh, or control over um, timing rather, um, and. The the skills that are required to be manifest, and that goes all the way back. I, you you may remember, I as it was a long time ago, you may remember I gave a an initially facetious answer as to why I decided to go into the law. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it was only shortly afterwards, um, sorry, some time afterwards, where I thought to my myself about, no, I'm really enjoying the processes here, and I'm very glad to say that uh, those thoughts of a, a sort of Eighteen-year-old Daniel Black um, sitting in the the law library at Glasgow University in terms of enjoying the process. Uh, those apply to practice sitting in in chambers and three year court in the the temple.
1: That's that's very really nice, and I don't think there's a career career quite like it, is there? It's just seems like a like a really rewarding career.
0: Well, I don't think so, and and certainly when I speak to to more senior barristers uh that that tends to be the, the 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 common consent that it is deeply rewarding deeply hard work but deeply deeply uh, rewarding and and it's it's a privilege to be in, involved in it.
1: definitely so you've given us so much um really helpful advice and um stories today so thank you very much um but i'd just like to ask if you've got any last words of advice you've got for listeners who are seeking a career at the bar
0: yes so i've been going on about structure so i'll give you three points Uh, (laughs) great (laughs) so the first is conduct a hard-headed realistic analysis of your chances
1: right and how can someone do that
0: uh, so um, this is, I suppose, a supposed to potentially downbeat bit of the advice. I promise it's it more positive.
1: Yeah.
0: Have a look at the sort of chambers you would like to work at, uh, and have a look at the people they've hired in the past five years. Yeah. And ask yourself, do I really have a chance of getting in here? Yeah. And be, be serious about asking yourself that question. Not if I really want to do a handstand, enough, I'll I'll do one you know, really seriously think to yourself, like, here's what they've got. Line it up on the left-hand side of the page and line up on the right-hand side of the page. Uh, you know, go back to their education, uh, their their prizes, their their scholarships, other things that are mentioned about it. Yeah. Um, and, and ask yourself, realistically, have I got a shot at this? Have I got a... The phrase I used there was fighting chance. Ask yourself, have I got a fighting uh, chance? And I use fighting chance very deliberately because uh, when I lined... <laughs> Uh, my credentials up with the people at, at, at three here court. They were considerably better than me, but I thought perhaps with a fair wind, uh, I would I would have a fighting chance. And unfortunately, I, I did in the end. But yeah. t- take a really hard-headed assessment of that, because you don't want to plow in years of your life and potentially thousands of pounds of your own or or um, someone close to you's uh, money on on a pipe dream. It's okay to go down the process not knowing if you'll come out of it successfully. Everyone enters. I like that, and unfortunately, some people don't make it. Uh, Some qualified people don't make it for whatever reason. But but make sure you make sure uh, that you've had a realistic assessment of whether you can get in, and that that, that, that's the first thing you have you have to do. And it it would be it would be unhelpful of me uh, not to make that clear just now. And and I say this to to students of mine when they ask this question in the past. The the second point. Is a more positive one. Okay. Once you have made that assessment, and once you have concluded that you have a fighting chance of getting into the sort of place you would like you would like to go, you have got to believe in yourself. You you absolutely somewhere deep within yourself, you have to find, even if it's just a kernel of, of belief which can grow, you, you've just got to find something within yourself that says. That this is right for me. I I am going to do this. I am going to achieve this. Uh, and you've got you've got to believe every time that you go into, into an interview room that that you're going to be you're going to be the winner. That, that you've got the capabilities to succeed, and that you can adjust to any difficulties um, that 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 may arise even within uh, interviews. Because I mean, ultimately, belief isn't going to take you over the line, but it it, it can. Um, most certainly stop you getting over getting over the line uh, and uh, and therefore that, that, that's critical. The third point, um, I'm going to split into two. So I'm going to split the third point into two, I'm going to split it into a point of general application and, and then a point um, for people who perhaps have interviews um, coming up and, and don't have time uh, to do anything different. Okay. If you still have time to boost your CV, boost your CV, diamond stud it, get anything additional on there that might just make the difference between getting through a paper sift and not. That doesn't need to be legally related. For some people, it will need. It, it, for some people, it would be preferable if it was legally related because perhaps they've got great academics and they've got those interesting things on their CV, but there's not a huge amount of legal experience. So perhaps a panel might think, mm, maybe they're not, uh, you know, so committed to this. Um, but it can also be something um, interesting. Now, I, I don't want people listening to this to think that that means you have to go and, and volunteer in Kenya for six months. That that's not what I'm I'm talking about. And obviously. For some people, their circumstances will, will never allow that. We talked earlier about some of, of the difficulties different types of people face. Yeah, But there are all manner of different um, avenues by which you can evidence uh, interesting things that uh, have involved some of the critical skills towards being a, a barrister. And the second part of this, which which applies to those people who may have interviews coming up, uh, whenever they listen to this, it, it may be that they listen to this sometime in the future, uh, and don't have time to, to boost the application. Treat your application form like a skeleton argument. Know that application form inside out because it, it's impressive to a panel if you can say, as I said, you know, question eight of, of my application. and uh, You'll see I outlined three things there. I'm going to focus on the second one. And, and that just shows uh, so much awareness of what is helpful to a listening tribunal and also, critically, gives you the chance to sort of make the mark stuff down on your paper. Uh, and and I, and I would recommend uh, uh, that. Uh, and ultimately, lo- those are the two things that I, uh, I would say in, in, in bifurcating me, third
1: point. Thank you. That's such great advice. Um, definitely, some things that I haven't really heard of. I really like the point about um, referring back to your application. I, th- I think that would really impress the panel. It would definitely impress me. <laughs> anyway, um, but, yeah. And also, um, love love the structure that that you used as well. Um, it's it's just amazing to see how those little little tricks um, can just make such a huge difference. So. Um, yeah thank you so much for coming on to the show today and sharing all your advice with us and your story it's been such an interesting episode Um, and yes thank you so much thanks for spending your time um, talking to us.
0: It's absolutely my pleasure I I realise that it's mysterious in some ways for for many people profession still that, that they're still it is a fog around it uh, and access to it and if in some small way uh, I, I've been able to help anyone uh, in terms of thinking about it more clearly and, and approaches to getting into it uh, then that's that's something I'd be uh, humbled by and I direct them again uh, back to uh, the student lawyers it's a great resource and thank you be, they'd be well advised to spend time there.
1: thank you so much thank you everyone for listening as well until next time goodbye To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. We'd like to thank Felix Knight for producing this podcast today.